Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, and this week I am finalizing my mini-series on the 100 Years of Fascism. Last week I handled the decade between 2010 and 2020, so this week I'm going to be talking about the events of the last, well, like, year and a half since 2020. Now, obviously, the time since 2020 has been very tumultuous for a lot of people for a lot of reasons, uh, not the least of which is the coronavirus pandemic. But that is not what I'm going to be talking about primarily. I'm going to be continuing to talk about the events on the right wing in these last couple years and also talk a little bit about what it is that I think we can probably expect in terms of right wing activity and developments in the next few years, you know, the next three to five years, something like that. Actually, going to start out with some stuff that I did not mention in the previous episode, things that happened in 2019. But, you know, at the very, very end of the year, like I said, at the beginning of this series, I am a historian. And as a historian, I don't necessarily think about dates per se. I think about trends and timelines. And so, you know, if a 2019 crops up in an episode that's about 2020 to 2022, uh, you know, that's the, that's just how it goes. In 2019, there was a coup in the country of Bolivia to oust the president, uh, the socialist president, Evo Morales. Now, Morales had previously arranged for the country to change its electoral law, which would have previously prevented him from taking another term as president. There had been a referendum to prevent him from doing this, but the constitutional uh, court in Bolivia said that he could. There were also some electoral irregularities in his re-election as president in 2019. However, in response to this, rather than engaging in some sort of legal system, he was told by the Brazilian military that he needed to leave office, making it a coup. Uh, in response to this, Morales was afraid for his life, as were many of his colleagues in MAS, the Movimiento al Socialismo, uh, the movement towards socialism, which was his political party. Uh, they feared for their lives and fled Bolivia for neighboring countries, Mexico, Argentina, places that people take refuge in Latin America, or specifically politicians take refuge in Latin America. The departure of the remainder of his political party meant that the Bolivian Congress could no longer be led by the people who would have led it, which were, you know, essentially the, the, the equivalent of the United States Speaker of the House in the Bolivian Parliament, in the Bolivian Congress. And so Janine Añez became the president of Bolivia, its first female president, an extremely right-wing woman who uh, is primarily known, or at least I, I think should primarily be known, in addition for, you know, participating in this coup, for the fact that when she became president, she, she made a really wonderful Freudian slip. Um, she took the oath of office on a big giant Bible, and she meant to say when she took office that God is back in power in Bolivia. Instead, she slipped and said, power is God in Bolivia. It's wonderful. It's perfect. Protests against her rule led to the deaths of at least 33 people and the injury of several, several more. Uh, 
The government did eventually stop because of these protests and the Movimiento Socialismo returned to power. Bolivia has had different elections in the meantime. However, this just like straight up military coup is a big change in Latin America. It's, you know, it's a watershed. It means that these things are going to be happening again. Another thing that happened in 2019 was the rise to power of Vox, a political party in Spain. Now, Vox was founded in 2014, but became one of Spain's biggest political parties sort of coming out of nowhere in 2019. They did take office in 2020, however. They were split from the uh, Christian Democratic, i.e. mainstream conservative People's Party in Spain. Uh, they are a much more right-wing party. However, they are not an extreme right-wing party. However, like with most, you know, right-wing but not necessarily extreme right-wing parties, for example, the GOP, their policies are significantly more right-wing than one would expect for, you know, a sort of mainstream conservative type. They are opposed to immigration. In some senses, they are an openly racist immigration policy political party. They are opposed to regional power, which is a major political issue in Spain, the power of the various subnational groups in Spain, for example, Catalonia or the Basque region. They are opposed to laws that empower or protect queer people and their rights. They're opposed to abortion law. They don't think that the state should be in the control of education. They think that pre, uh, you know, like parents and the church should be. They are opposed to all any number of leftist and liberal policies that expand people's rights and economic rights. They are pro-gun. In a sense, they are the Republican Party, just like operating in Spain and primarily Catholic as opposed to primarily Protestant as the Republicans are in the United States. Now, Vox remains out of power. However, they have been on the rise recently, and we're only going to continue to have to watch uh, their potential rise to power in Spain. In the United States, in the, inter in the years since 2020, there has been an increase in political violence, especially during the election cycle that was uh, happening in 2020. There were attacks on black churches by the Proud Boys. There was also the shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin, on the part of Kyle Rittenhouse, who has now become a sort of right-wing celebrity because of his partisan violence, you know, his uh, killing of two people in the street of Kenosha, Wisconsin. Kyle Rittenhouse was, of course, acquitted in 2021 for these murders. The probably most important and influential thing, especially if you live in the United States, that has happened in the last couple of years in terms of fascism, was the attempted coup in the United States on January 6th, 2021. We know now, and I talk about it a lot in this podcast, that there were several meetings prior to January 6th that indicate that this was a planned coup, that members of paramilitaries in the United States organized together to coordinate their attack on the Capitol building, to coordinate how they were going to get the mob of mostly disorganized people who were attending the president, uh, former President Donald Trump's rally to prevent the counting of the electoral college votes that would have inaugurated his opponent, Joe Biden. Uh, so we know that these meetings were happening between, for example, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, Patriot Front, other paramilitary organizations. We know that there was contact between the leaders of these organizations and some people in the Trump administration. We know that they were using burner phones because they were afraid of being found out. 
We know that there is a real serious possibility that they were in contact with at least somebody involved in Congress. You know, they got a lot of information about these buildings. They had plans, they had they had layouts. We also know that somebody planted several pipe bombs, which fortunately did not go off prior to this attempted coup. We, we still do not know exactly who this person was. On January 6th, the day of, after all of this planning, there was a rally at the Capitol building at which President Trump and several of his stand-ins, including Rudy Giuliani, spoke. They goaded the crowd into a violent attack on the United States Capitol building. They rushed the building. They vastly overwhelmed the security force at the building, which was kept artificially low because people refused to try to send in the National Guard for several hours. And the, it, it you know, it, it took Congress itself calling the D.C. Metropolitan Police to come and stop it. Um, they entered the building. They killed several police officers. Several protesters also died in these altercations. And by entered the building, I mean they broke in, like they broke windows and, and broke down doors and opened them from the inside. They were chanting about how they were going to kill the vice president, who is presiding over the count of this electoral college vote. Uh, they were talking about kidnapping others. We know that they had zip ties and handcuff-like things in order to try to detain members of Congress and to prevent them from inaugurating Joe Biden. They eventually failed. They were allowed to leave the building. They were not arrested on the day of. They've only been arrested subsequently. Uh, and the electoral count was eventually ratified. Donald Trump's coup did fail. This has resulted in a long and drawn-out legal process, which is still ongoing, to try to assign some blame. Some of the leaders of the actual militaries have been charged, and some of them have actually been tried for their participation in the coup. However, nobody in the administration has quite yet. That's what I'm going to be talking about this Thursday on the normal episode of 15 Minutes of Fascism. Continuing on in the United States, there's also been a just generalized right-wing turn in U.S. politics since the conclusion of Donald Trump's presidency. More and more political leaders in the GOP are deeply connected to Trump and to the legacy of the coup. For example, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is a just like impressively virulent right-wing figure in the Republican Party. I mean, she, honestly, it's kind of astonishing the degree to which this person spouts like deranged, terrifying things uh, from the right wing. She's also sort of uh, exceptionally bad at language and uh, often makes really, you know, in retrospect, somewhat funny mistakes, like saying martial law with a SH instead of a TI, for example. Additionally, there has been a right wing turn in media, in conservative media in the United States, for example, on Tucker Carlson's talk show program, or talk show programs, I should say, considering that he has several in the Fox News network. He has a serious turn towards extremist positions, uh, which question democracy, which oppose queer rights, which oppose abortion rights, which raise the idea of, you know, the great replacement, quote unquote, uh, this racist idea that white people are being replaced in the United States. By some counts, this person, this, you know, quasi-fascist guy, is the most popular talk show host on television in the United States. Additional evidence of right-wing turn in the United States has been an increasing international connection that they have had, particularly with Hungary, a country that is currently run by a leader who is deeply skeptical, if not opposed to democracy itself, and who, as I've noted in other episodes, 
has been engaging in serious attacks on leftist power and just human rights in general in his country. Additionally, in the, you know, 2020s, there has been a coup in Myanmar. The military of Myanmar, which is a country that is also known as Burma, stepped in and jailed the president, Aung San Suu Kyi, who is a sort of like national liberatory figure in that country and whose father was one of its major independence fighters uh, in the colonial era. There have been a series of show trials against her and her allies on the part of the military, uh, which ended a very short experiment in democratic rule in Myanmar, uh, a country that was under military rule for the majority of the 20th century. Uh, this is the same military that has since stepped in and removed Suu Kyi and her allies from power. These show trials against her and her allies have resulted in long prison sentences for these people, many of whom are quite elderly, including the former president herself. The military shows no sign of stopping its uh, assault on democracy in Myanmar. They have shown no signs of stopping their campaigns of violence, and they have shown no indication that they intend to return power to democratic forces in their country. Finally, closing out this episode, we can talk a little bit about what we can likely expect to see from the right wing and especially from fascists and the extreme right wing in the coming years. We know that it is very likely that we will be seeing more right wing violence in the United States around electoral cycles, uh, especially in the electoral cycle that's coming up this fall, 2022, and definitely especially the 2024 presidential election cycle especially if Donald Trump chooses to run for the GOP nomination, which he would almost certainly win if he tried to run. We know that there will be more assaults on queer people and women. We know that there will be assaults on people trying to provide abortion access, especially if abortion is made uh, up to states by the repeal of, well, by the ending of the Roe v. Wade decision on the part of the Supreme Court. We know that there will be more uh, partisan violence on the part of the right wing, people attending protests and either threatening or actually engaging in violence. We know that the right wing has been ramping up international connections between right wing groups, uh, not just the one that I noted between the United States and Hungary, but also other international right wing connections. We also can see evidence, clear evidence, that Jair Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, is planning or at least like really considering and is definitely laying the groundwork for a coup in his country if he uh, fares as badly in the upcoming election against Lula da Silva uh, this October as is relatively likely. So those are things that we can be almost certain are going to happen. And this unfortunately means that until they are stopped, the right wing is continuing its upward trajectory. Their power is increasing currently, and it will take a lot of organizing, awareness, and power on the part of the left and people opposed to fascism in general in order to stop them. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. And I mean that sincerely. Like, please leave a review. Please like, share, and subscribe. That's like how people hear about the podcast. People also hear about it when their friends tell them. You know, so talk to your friends, family, colleagues, comrades about the podcast. Uh, 
If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail. I'm 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I can also be reached on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right or on fascism 15. And again, that's uh, 15 spelled out. All right. Thank you. And next week, I'm going to be starting another mini series. This one is going to be about ecology, the environment and fascism. So it's going to be starting out with a primer on eco-fascism. All right. I'll talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.